we are disappointed in a way that all the good things we are doing on packaging, all the good things we are doing on regenerative agriculture, all the good things we are doing on reducing sugar level of our products are not yet reflected in the equity price. It's because we have not yet found the right way to communicate about these aspects. So it's a trial, it has created engagement, we are, but we are definitely not there. From McKinsey Strategy and Corporate Finance Practice, I'm Sean Brown, and welcome to Inside the Strategy Room. That was Jürgen Esser, the CFO of multinational food company Danone, that's behind global brands like Evian Water and Dan and Yogurt. Jürgen assumed his current role in February of 2021, building on a 20-year career with the French company in a variety of roles. He recently spoke with Clarisse Magnin, the managing partner of McKinsey France, during a session that was part of a recent event we hosted for global CFOs. The gathering's focus was on creating value while advancing sustainability and the transition to net zero emissions. Now, here's Clarisse. Yes. And we have the nice uh, brand. To drink. So that's going to be the first, uh, I guess, question. Danone uh, has three big businesses, uh, bottled water, uh, specialized nutrition, and dairy and plant-based. So taking a bit of a step back, uh, how do you reflect as a, as a company on sustainability, performance, strategy, and the tension that it sometimes uh, creates? Yeah, thank you, Clarisse, and uh, good afternoon to all of you. Great to be here. It's true that um, I spend a lot of my career in the waters division, and so talking about sustainability, uh, I reflect first and foremost uh, on waters, but the reality is that we have, in fact, many different divisions in our company which are directly uh, exposed to sustainability discussion. It's true that there is obviously a lot of public uh, discussion about plastic and mineral water, uh, the dairy industry, which is a large part of our, of our uh, company, is also exposed to a lot of discussion about methane emission and uh, the impact it has on, uh, on the CO2 footprint, not only of our company, but of the industry uh, overall. Plant-based, because we are a big player in plant-based beverages, in milks, in yogurts, is uh, all about sourcing. And last but not least, our medical uh, nutrition division, which has also its challenges, which come mostly also through uh, dairy, milk powder, but also packaging. So very different conversations we are having about sustainability, but they have one thing in common, in fact, which is that it's always about three elements. It's about the strategic intent. How do we not do a discussion on a Monday morning about sustainability and on the Tuesday about financial performance, but how do we make sustainability an intrinsic strategic element it comes to the day-to-day -day and the way we decide about capital allocation and investment priorities and the way we are setting targets and the way we are measuring success. And we know how to do that for PL. We know a bit less how to do that for non-financial performance. And so these three elements are all the same for all our businesses, although they have very different business models. An audience member then asked Jürgen how he balances financial performance with sustainability in light of a recent campaign by an activist investor critical of Danone's sustainability investments. Yeah, it's true that it has been a tough moment in the sense that uh, we indeed had a lot of public debate mm. about uh, the question if we are having the right balance about investing into sustainability, pioneering in sustainability, 
and delivering financial performance. In a moment where our financial performance was not at the level of expectation. I mean, let's be very clear that we have not been delivering what the market uh, has been expecting. And so we came, uh, we came under this tension, which created a quite massive internal uh, disruption uh, during last year. But it delivered a few positive elements. And so we started to, to just make an assessment where we are uh, on the different categories. And the reality is that our company today, 90% of what we are selling is products suitable for daily consumption. So not too much sugar, not too much other additives. The industry is somewhere between 30 and 50%. We looked at our packaging and we saw, okay, more than 80% of our packaging today is either recyclable, reusable or compostable. The industry is at 20. And so we were asking ourselves, how is it possible that we are so far ahead of the industry because we have been pioneering on a lot of those elements since not only a few years, since decades. But the investors and the market is not valuing it. Is it because we had been too much focusing on risk uh, reduction and not enough on how this can drive positive cash flows? Or did we are, were we not convincing enough with our equity story? And probably there's a truth in each of these points. And so with, with that element in mind, you know, we, we came to the conclusion that we need to change a little bit the way we work and that we need to make sure that we hardwire sustainability into business and that we are very clear on what we do expect when we are investing, where we are investing. And so we, we, we have built a strategy which, and we relaunched the strategy a lot with a new CEO, which came uh, uh, not so long time ago, which was really to make sure that everything we do has a very concrete impact and has a very concrete impact locally and a measurable impact. This is very nice to say. The reality is the premium for recycled PET, well, in the moment is something like 30 to 50% vis-a-vis -vis virgin PET. So when my guys came and said, hey, it's a great idea to put Evian from a virgin PET bottle to recycled PET, it will cost us a, a very, very, very significant amount. And so we did it. When the, our guys came and said, we want to make the Evian factory the most eco-responsible water factory in the world, we did it and it has cost quite a bit of money. And we also transformed Evian to a carbon neutral brand across the world. So wherever you consume Evian, it will be carbon neutral. That has a very significant cost. The question is, how do you get this money back? The reality is that retailers and consumers are willing to pay for it. So we saw our because of those investments, we saw our market shares rising across the board. So the story resonates with the consumer. But this is one of a, a very few examples I have to share. And that's a problem. So these investments have been paying back. But I would say that if I take back the business cases from a few years ago when we were investing into our factory and we were investing into RPT, the way we would measure returns was not clear. And so what we have done with Evian, we want now basically to roll out to all our initiatives, and which means that probably we'll do less initiatives, but more impactful initiatives, and being very clear if this is for reducing the risk profile, driving positive cash flows with the right equity story behind. And maybe just a last word on the equity story. I looked back, uh, coming here, I looked back at uh, our full year 2021 uh, results presentation, you know, the, the nice presentations we are sharing with analysts and, uh, and the market. 
19 pages, uh, there was one page on sustainability. So the question is also, how do we make all the efforts we are putting behind sustainability much more visible? And how do we do not make it one page out of 20, but how is it an intrinsic element of the way we are explaining the value creation story of a company? And so there is still a long way to go. So I think this question of how do you get value out of your um, your efforts, your investment is, is, is particularly key because you said that I have a new CEO, a new strategy, you have to uh, reinvent, reinvest in, uh, in product innovation, um, uh, also in brand support, ANPs and so on. Uh, so how do you, as a CFO, balance the investment um, you know, to support the business, and the top line in particular, and to finance decarbonation of, of the value chain, which, as you said, also has sometimes a bit more unclear return on investment or a longer-term return on investment. So it's very often allowing resilience of the business, but maybe short-term next quarter. It's not going to be uh, perceived the same way by, uh, by the investors. So how, how do you tackle this uh, tension as a CFO yeah. in, in, the, in light of this new strategy? That's very tough because there's daily tension because of all the reasons you mentioned on uh, sometimes the, the level of uh, the, the missing precision of the returns we can expect on a certain element. The reality is that you need a very strong strategic plan in order to make sure that you have a long-term vision of how you want to allocate your capital. If you try to, to solve the issues with a short-term horizon, you will not. And so what we have been doing, <laughs> just an example, we, came, we are coming from a history that a CapEx investment, I mean, you, you were coming with your proposal with different kinds of uh, investment classes between growth, efficiency, quality, sustainability. We erased the sustainability classification. So when today you have a business case, you come with a growth business case, you come with an efficiency business case, you come with a quality business case, or you come with a risk reduction business case, which is quantified. Sustainability in itself is not a business case. So how does an investment into the fact that I reduce the sugar level of my, uh, of my beverages, how does it create value? How does the fact that I move from uh, truck transportation to train transportation, how does it create value? But I think the fact that we need to holistically look at value creation is very, very important. The way to uh, uh, zero net comes with positive cash flows. In a lot of cases, it comes with long-term positive cash flows. And the question is, how do you, ma how do you manage this tension between the short-term business cases, which deliver you short-term returns, and those business cases which give you long-term returns? So we are very heavily uh, involved into dairy products, agriculture, regenerative agriculture is a big topic for us. When you are investing into transforming the practices of your farmer, that doesn't, has a pay that doesn't have a payback of one year. It has a payback of four or five years, or maybe six years. So having a strategic plan and being very clear how much of your investments you allocate for these long-term horizon elements which are critical for your business, and how much you can allocate for the short-term brand investment, commercial investment, industrial investment, digitalizing your supply chain is critical in order to, to make the right choices. And, and how is inflation uh, adding uh, complexity 
And I would say, by the way, by its inflation, its uh, scarcity of raw materials, which are creating different types of, uh, of tension on the value chain, uh, it's the energy, uh, energy costs that you have, given you are a processed uh, industry. So is it exacerbating the, uh, the tension? Or is it improving some business cases? It's creating a lot of tensions. The reality is that in our industry, in the food industry or FMCG industry, inflation on our cost of goods sold is uh, somewhere between 10 and 20%, depending on where in which categories you are playing. So it's putting a lot, a lot of pressure. Vis-a-vis -vis a past uh, of the last years where we were looking at two, three, four, five percent So it's a totally different ball game and we can read it every day in the newspaper how that is translated into the prices to consumers. So I am sure that many corporates and many players which are not corporates are, are discussing today how they balance and how they phase their sustainability investments in light of this tsunami in front of us, which is to make sure that consumers continue to buy our products, making sure that the volume elasticities by increasing our prices are as little as possible. So it's an extremely difficult moment. We are in that sense, in a, we are in that context in a slightly more favorable position because in the moment that we are relaunching our strategy, we went also for, to, a, to a profit reset which allows us to continue to invest into sustainability, uh, continuing our recycled PET story, for example, and rolling that out to all our, most of our other water brands, but also communicating behind it, which means that we continue to invest and we will increase our brand investment at the same moment, uh, which is a, a double weapon in, in our hands. We are doing that because we believe in the long-term uh, value of doing it, but it's also because for some of our categories, and water is a good example, dairy is a good example, but plant-based is also a good example, retailers and consumers are demanding more and more by the day. They do not care about inflation. They want us to change. And they are buying the product which is offering the most sustainable solution. And so what we have decided is to stick to our plans on sustainability investments, but to invest behind it, to make it visible to the, to the markets. A second point, which is very interesting, is that the current scarcity of raw materials also leads to creative solution. And that's something which we are trying to leverage, to leapfrog on some processes. For us, packaging today is a key issue. I mean, when I look at my total cost in my P&L, my cost is made of ingredients like milk and packaging. That's the two biggest components in my P&L. Buying today paper-based uh, packaging is extremely costly and in some instances even almost impossible because of the scarcity of that supply in the, in the world. We are shipping pallets around the world, so pallets of product, pallets with water, pallets with yogurt, and in these pallets you have what carton layers in order to make the pallets more stable. And when we were asking in the past, do we need those cartons to make the pallets stable, we were told, yes, there's absolutely no way to get that out. You cannot... And guess what? Since we were not able to buy sufficiently cotton, yes. we found a solution to overcome this issue. What a fantastic thing. I mean, it's very, very significant saving. A sustainable new way of transporting our products. So it's ticking all the boxes. Good creative solutions. Um, I, I had a question on the carbon-adjusted uh, uh, EP, EPS KPI. 
something that was introduced as well uh, some time ago. Are you still using it internally, externally? Uh, how does it uh, work and how is it allowing you to pursue your, your net zero, uh, I would say, agenda? Yeah, yeah maybe um, before I come to that, on the, it's true that for us, uh, the zero net agenda is an agenda about agriculture, right? I mean, uh, uh, for our company, we have like 25, 26,000 tons of CO2 emission in absolute. Two thirds of that is linked to agriculture. And so it means that I can do and we can do whatever we want on transportation, on energy, on our industrial footprint. That's not moving the needle sufficiently. We need to move on uh, changing agricultural practices. That's a difficult one. That's a difficult one because it's, it's the farmers. And we talk about farmers around the world who need to change their practices. It's something we cannot invest uh, alone into, very clearly. So we are we having projects across all the continents with associations, with governments, in order to help the farmers going through that transition. It's a, it's a very costly exercise. We are making good progress when you look at it. I mean, since three years, our absolute carbon emissions are decreasing year on year. And the vast majority of it is coming from regenerative uh, agricultural practices implemented, especially in Asia uh, and in North America. When we were introducing in 2019, I think, or 2020, this um, carbon-adjusted EPS, uh, I think it took us a while in order to make understand the intention behind that. So basically, we took the EPS, we took our carbon emission, we costed this carbon emission. We, okay, we just took a price. I mean, we, we said, well, let's take 35 euros per ton, which some people say it's not enough. Some people say it's too much, whatever. We costed our, our carbon emission and we said, okay, in the moment, let's imagine tomorrow you would pay taxes on our carbon emission. What, how would our EPS look like? And so we shared that with the market. We shared that with our investors. And it took some time to get grip on that discussion. Because, I mean, I think we were basically, I think the, 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 the only ones coming with that kind of uh, trial to combine financial performance indicator with a non-financial performance indicator. The reality is it created a lot of engagement. First on, do we take the right, uh, uh, the right valorization for the CO2? Is it 35 or not? Is that the right way to look at it? But the reality is that it's the first time we got our investors into that kind of debate. And I think that's extremely useful. It makes also understand that driving this KPI carbon-adjusted EPS faster than our EPS is the solution. Because we need to drive our cash flows and we need to make sure that at the same moment we reduce our carbon emission, that whatever the cost of the carbon emission is. Having said that, clearly we are far from being perfect. When I was saying before that today we are disappointed in a way that all the good things we are doing on packaging, all the good things we are doing on regenerative agriculture, uh, all the good things we are doing on reducing sugar level of our products are not yet re reflected in the equity price. It's because we have not yet found the right way to communicate about these aspects. Huh? So it's a trial. It has created engagement, we are, but we are definitely not there. An executive in the audience then asked Jürgen how he secured support from the board to introduce an internal price on carbon. The reality being that we are invested since more than a decade 
in a project um, which is a livelihood funds. So we are, we are basically uh, at the origin of an investment fund, which is uh, uh, which is creating carbon credits uh, around the world, high quality carbon credits at a relative good cost. And so the board was challenging me: Why do I go for 35 euros? While we know that. We have good access to carbon credits, which, you know, are a, a fraction of the 35 euros. The reality is that going for a relatively low price will not change the way you look at the business case. And so we went for a, what I think is a good price, um, a fair price, in order to have the right conversations. Today, we have, you know, 26,000 tons of CO2 emission is... Uh, is a lot and it's impossible to offset by, by what I was just describing, like, like this investment fund, right? So we need to do it ourselves. A big part we need to do ourselves. So we need to create big awareness, big time awareness. And not, you know, this is like a side, a side component of an investment case. We are reducing 4% our carbon emission area as 1 million tons of CO2. That's big. That's big. This is only by being, con by doing conscious choices. Right? And so we went for this uh, relatively high price. But I'm not sure if, if we talk in two or three years, it's still a very high price. Uh, we, we could say that this is even much too low. Huh? The reality is that the fact that we introduced CO2 reduction into the incentive system of the, the company that has changed the world even more and putting it into the business cases of investment. Let's be super clear. Another audience member next asked Jürgen whether Danone's sustainability investments were not being reflected in the stock price because of an issue of communication or more of investors simply not valuing such investments. You are touching a good point, and I think a perfect illustration of this is that um, I did a roadshow in the US uh, met a lot of investors around 20 investors, 20 investor meetings, and in 19 of them, we didn't discuss about sustainability. The sustainability topic is very often still a discussion which is happening uh, in the ESG or governance roadshows rather than in the performance roadshows. And that's in itself indeed a challenge. So how do we make sure that we move that intrinsically into one, into one discussion? So your, your point is absolutely right that it needs to come from both sides. I think we need to improve on the way we share our story we give proof points on the way sustainability investments are delivering financial performance and cash flows. And at the same moment, I think also investors need to, to move on that. We are today reporting a lot of non-financial performance indicators, in fact. I mean, we are working with a number of rating agencies. So there's hundreds and hundreds of KPIs we are today sharing with the market. We did uh, recently a study to see... Uh, uh, we asked our top 50 uh, investors what are the sources of information they are using to understand a little bit what are the most relevant uh, opinion builders. And the reality is very scattered. So today the investor base is not looking at only these three KPIs or these three rating agencies. Or so. And that's a, today also one of the barriers, I believe, to have a very efficient conversation and, and discussion with our investor base because we are not clear on what we are looking at and what is truly priority. Even more important from my point of view is that we are very clear as a company of what we are going for. And obviously we talk about the zero net, obviously we talk about 100% recyclability of, uh, of our packaging as the two biggest ambitions we are having. 
But I think beyond that, we need to be clear as what the, what are the top five or the top 10 things we are driving truly as a company. And I think here we have not been working with the right level of consistency uh, to share on these uh, core KPIs we are following. And second point, not be extremely clear on how this, these five or 10 KPIs are impacting our financial delivery. Because in the end, investors want cash flows in the future. Predictable, stronger cash flows, right? Talking about the, the finance function, how do you see your role, the role of your function, finance function, and you personally? Uh, what, what, what drives you, what excites you in, in the years to come on this topic of sustainability and performance? You can look at it from two sides. It's an extremely complex topic, and at the same moment, it's an extremely rewarding topic. So walking through the floors and talking to my teams, doesn't matter where you work, in tax, in treasury, in consolidation, in business controlling, everybody is excited and curious about how, how they can impact our sustainability journey. And that's great because it attracts talents into the finance community. It's a very difficult, it's a very difficult day-to-day -day exercise. In fact, uh, we have decided and we have implemented very recently a sustainable finance function in our company, which didn't exist before at all. But uh, we felt that there is a need to make sure that we are not reinventing the wheel, that we are not reinventing the wheel neither in the way we collect data, nor in the way we are using tools, nor in the way we are ensuring a correct data quality. I'm asking questions on a monthly basis about the evolution of our CO2 uh, footprint. I can have my P&L instantly, but can I have my CO2 emission evolution instantly? I cannot. So today I'm in a position to have, have a quarterly reporting, which is sourced from all the 100 countries we are operating in, and I have a quite good uh, visibility on the way our CO2 footprint is, uh, is evolving. Is that auditable? I think today we are in a position to say yes, I mean, I, I feel good about the number, but it took us, I think, seven years to go there. Is the process today very efficient? It's not. Because the people in charge of collecting the data on the ground, this is absolutely not harmonized. Sometimes it's the plant controller. Sometimes it's a guy in operations. Sometimes it's a guy in general secretary. So there's still a lot to do in order to harmonize processes, to make them efficient, and to make sure that the quality of the data is perfect. I talk about CO2 now. That's relatively easy. Tomorrow we will talk about health or social components. And so today uh, we have created this team of sustainable finance because I want to make sure that we are, as I said, we don't reinvent the wheel, but we are using to the extent possible the practices we have when we talk about business controlling and that we have one central coordination function which is linking to all the, the operating entities, but also the owners of the topics at, at global level, and this is particularly true when we talk about health or social, to consolidate this data. And it starts to pay back, because I think the quality of business cases is improving, quality of data is improving, and we are becoming more anticipative rather than running behind the ball. So I think that's, uh, that's working fairly well. And we are doing a lot of experiments of how to make sure that um, we are truly combining uh, financial performance and non-financial performance discussions in the same meeting. This is extremely difficult 
is extremely difficult as a listed company when you need to deliver your quarterly results. So you're always tempted to look at your, uh, your growth, your profit, and your cash flows, and you forget for a moment the other KPIs. So what we have been doing is that on, on those KPIs, which for us are the most critical, we made sure that we also implemented an incentive system. And I believe that's the only way to do. You need to select as a company the KPIs which are priority for you, and you need to make sure that you have the right level of awareness, education, and incentive in order to have an impact on them. Another audience member asked Jurgen about a point that he'd made previously and the challenges related to emissions through agriculture. And in many cases, they're smaller businesses. And he was asked, what role might Danone play in helping share best practices and move an entire group of smaller agricultural producers toward this better goal? Uh, depending on the country we are operating, the farmer in front of us can be a very uh, organized, structured, having hundreds of cows. Or we have very little farmers in front of us, five cows, ten cows. So how, how do you change their practices? Very difficult. So we need to work with associations who are grouping those kind of farmers and their interest and their practices and showing them the benefits. The reality is that we are paying a better price for those who have changed their, changed their practices. But changing practices takes three years. So how do you finance these three years where these guys make less money before they make more money? And so this is where we need associations and governments in order to help to make this transition. I am very passionate about water and Evian. I'm so sorry, I need to talk about this again. For those of you who have not been to Evian, it's a beautiful place. This is a territory, a plateau of 30 square kilometers where the rain is falling, and 15 years after, coming out, 15 years later, going through the rocks and coming out at the source. The quality of the water is dependent on, on what is happening on these 30 square kilometers in terms of agriculture, in terms of villages and the pollution they are creating and so on. More than 20 years ago, we created an association in Evian in order to agree how we can protect this plateau, these 30 square kilometers, in order to make sure that this is and remains what it is today, which is the purest mineral water of the world. So us alone, we cannot protect 30 square kilometers. It's just impossible. This is not only in our hands. And this is why explaining the impact you can have by investing, limiting risk, but also the positive impact you can have is of the essence and sometimes just takes time. Jürgen was also asked how Danone coordinates across the leadership team to make sure that all parts of the company are effectively communicating their sustainability message. Yeah, that's, that's a very important point because I think one of the challenges we had in the past is that we did a lot of good stuff, isolated, sometimes in industrial, sometimes in sourcing, but there was even lacking awareness at company level about the good things we are doing. And so it has not been translated into creating a, a, a true uh, competitive edge, using our brands to communicate about it. What I was telling you before about the 80% of our packaging, which is uh, recyclable, uh, reusable or compostable, I tell you, we, we have been using that even as a corporate, nowhere until 12 months ago, nowhere. And so what we have decided to do is that we, we have decided to create a sustainability department. I talked about sustainable finance, but we also put into the COMEX 
uh, a guy who is now in charge of sustainability. And interestingly, it's a guy who has a marketing background. You could say, you could say that's, how can you put a guy with a marketing background? You should put somebody who is coming from supply chain. But we put intentionally somebody who has a marketing background, a little bit of knowledge also about supply, supply chain, but in order to bridge these elements, because we need to make sure that our sales, our marketing know exactly what we are doing. In fact, all the good things we are doing in, in sourcing and sustainability and the other way around. Because here it is, we need to make sure that we focus our efforts where we can have an impact. Uh, and so having this, this very strong link between the different functions is of the essence. Otherwise, you don't manage to create value. When you are a company like us, which has a lot of local business, a lot of local brands. In our case, 70% of what we are saying, uh, selling is with local brands. So it's not the Evian of this world, but it's with local water brands, local yogurt brands, uh, local infant milk nutrition uh, brands. For businesses like us, it's extremely important that you make sure that you have, again, fewer commitments, but those commitments where you can really have an impact as a company and not dispersing your, your capital and your resources among 100 initiatives in the end, uh, creating zero difference. Jürgen's final question from the audience was related to what advice he would give other CFOs who struggle to create both internal and external awareness of their company's successful sustainability efforts. When we were discussing uh, with the top 50 of our company in January about the new strategy and about the way we should put sustainability at the core of it, it's very difficult when you talk to your general managers on the ground, you tell them, listen, as Danone, we have taken a commitment, uh, net zero, they need your help. And I'm sorry, half of your capex goes for that now. Okay, the level of engagement is zero. When you demonstrate a case like I, I, I took for Evian, I said, listen, look what we did in France or in Europe, investing into sustainability, driving consumer preference, driving growth, driving volumes, giving us positive returns. This creates positive awareness because they see that it can drive my business. And I think that's the way to do it. We have had in the past not enough of those conversations. It needs to be a competitive edge. If it's not a competitive edge, and you say it's just because our company took a commitment, I think it's extremely difficult. At the same moment, what is extremely helpful also is that some of our competitors have been suffering because they have not been working and investing sufficiently in their license to operate. I mean, we are working in very sensitive environments, in water, in dairy, so it's a lot about food quality, you know, protecting your sources, protecting your landscapes. If you don't do that properly, you can destroy a brand from one day to the next. From one day to the next. Putting that in front of a general manager, showing what can happen if it creates again awareness. But I think this awareness, this is something which needs to be hammered constantly and constantly and constantly. And this is why I believe it's, it doesn't work that you do it on a Monday morning or on a Friday afternoon only. It needs to be in all the conversations. And so back to my incentive system, you need to make sure that you incentivize the people on the KPIs, which you believe are the right KPIs to make a difference. And some of it will create cash flows and some of it may not create cash flows, but it is what we, what you define as critical to your business. For us, it's protection of landscape and water sources, water resources. If tomorrow the Evian source is giving less water, we have a problem. 
if tomorrow the water which comes out of the avion source is polluted, we have a problem. So you better make sure that you invest to make that make sure that in 15 years the water is the same as today. Thank you for joining us. As always, we'll share a transcript of this discussion on the Inside the Strategy Room podcast collection page at mckinsey.com slash ITSR, where you can also easily explore our libraries of more than 100 previous episodes. If you'd like to share feedback or an idea for a future podcast, please email us at insidethestrategyroom at mckinsey.com. Finally, if you'd like to receive alerts on our latest insights, you can sign up on our podcast collection page on mckinsey.com slash ITSR, follow us on Twitter at MCK Strategy, or connect with us on LinkedIn via the McKinsey Strategy and Corporate Finance Practice page. Thanks again for listening. We look forward to having you join us again soon inside the Strategy Room.